Hey, podcast listeners. Uh, so here at the Common Thread Podcast, we were hanging out in the HDC this weekend, and we happened upon the Human Rights Conference. Uh, we have a ton of incredible people, a ton of incredible activists sitting around a table right now. So I, I think what we'll start with is just everyone going around and, and introducing themselves, if that's cool. Yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. great. Please. Yeah. I'm Reverend Osaja Foseku. Darnell Moore. And this is Bishop Yvette Flunder. I'm Kevin Rigby. They know who we are, so we don't The question that we came up with, basically, so that you know we could actually do this in a timely fashion is, given that this is a human rights conference mm-hmm. and, and all, of, uh, all of you are activists on some level, mm-hmm. um, what do you guys consider to be the forefront of activism today, the most important dimension of it in today's context? And how do you envision that moving forward? I mean, I think I think the primary thing for me uh, is a continentalist. Albert Camus says that the when the rebel rebel when the rebel says no, the rebel is saying is rebelling, mm-hmm. and when they're saying no, they're saying yes. And so I think the most critical thing we can do is resist in every level, mm-hmm. and that that resistance is going to play itself out different in different ways ideologically, right? So those of us who are in petty bourgeois locations like the academy, right, we, we, we may be resisting epistemically, we may be resisting in terms of the kind of knowledge development that we want the university to provide for us. So if it's the fight over black studies, if it's the fight over more African-American courses, right, in the streets of Ferguson, we're going to resist with a direct confrontation of the state. Because I, because I, because I do believe in revolution, right? As a democratic socialist, I believe in the radical transformation in the tradition of King, who was a democratic so- socialist. I do believe that we need to have these radical transformations of systems, but I think that everywhere the resistance happens, it, ca- it kind of, it, it, it reverberates. You know, we Pentecostals like to talk about mm-hmm. the spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if they up at Harvard, Harvard, they shutting down, they shut down the law school last year because mm-hmm. some babies in Ferguson mm-hmm. shut down the street. Mm-hmm. Right, different class locations, right? But at, at least every when every side of engagement uh, and side of struggles at work, when people are resisting, I think it puts us in a lot better uh, co- uh, situation to create the kind of world that we want. Yes. And Reverend, can I just ask a, a follow up? So I, I know you moved to uh, to Ferguson in the aftermath of uh, of the Michael Brown incident, and can I can you talk for just a second about what you're doing right now uh, in Ferguson? Well. Uh, what a couple things I, I I would prefer to point to the larger movement, right? And so there's been some uh, wonderful traction led by uh, some of the organizers to come out of Ferguson, like Kayla Reed, who uh, uh, runs the St. Louis uh, Action Council, which played a very key role in almost electing the first African American mayor, female uh, woman rather, mayor mm-hmm. of uh, St. Louis, uh, only losing by 888 votes which is significant, mm-hmm. um, given that the largest newspaper came after this sister uh, in the city. And, that, and uh, then there's Julie Ho, who's doing work with Solidarity Economy, St. Louis, where they're looking at you can basically put in time. So, uh, or like they're having a queer, a, non, a non-gender conforming, or uh, non-gender binary clothing swap this weekend, mm-hmm. right? So in addition to keeping track of the state violence, they're doing the kind of work necessary to build out a community. Mm-hmm. And then at, at the artistic level, there's Tef Poe, who, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, I argue the most significant hip-hop artist 
uh, of this particular moment, right? So his album War Machine mm -hmm. uh, 3, and then he just released a new album, Black Julian, based on a conversation that he had with Julian Assange mm -hmm. in London, mm -hmm. right? So you got mm -hmm. that kind of work going on. And then for as particular as it relates to, I'm primarily an artist now, so mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I released an album earlier this uh, on April 2nd, um, the, a seventh rather, that is an attempt to keep track of the best of the blues tradition. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank, Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so wow. much. Well, uh, we just want to announce to listeners, we actually got a, a few more people who just came in the room. So <laughs> wh whoever wants to chime in on the question of what is the forefront of activism today for you, uh, please just introduce yourself uh, ahead of it and then uh, answer the question. Please. Monica Roberts, uh, I am a longtime uh, advocate uh, for trans community here and uh, trans communities of color in uh, my hometown of Houston. Um, and to me right now, forefront of activism is what uh, former Vice President uh, Joe Biden said. The, they say the human rights, uh, next human rights frontier is transgender human rights. Um, we are looking at a situation now in which the last president made tremendous strides and as far as I'm concerned was the best ever on trans human rights uh, activity and this one we have now will be going down in history as the worst. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, so and right here in Boston, for example, you do have uh, this is one of the cradles of transhuman rights and uh, in terms of some of the early leaders from our community were from this area um, and um, the reason that we have the transgender day of remembrance was because of an african-american trans woman by the name of Rita Hester who was murdered mm -hmm. here um, back in late 1990s uh, we do have a long, proud history of being part of uh, the kinty cloth fabric of African American communities. Uh, I also wanted to point out another point of history that has a Boston connection to it in the terms of Althea Garrison, who mm -hmm. in 1990 was the first trans person elected to a state legislature. Uh, she was from here in mm -hmm. Boston. Um, and she, Ms. Garrison, I believe, is still around to these days. Yeah. Um, but um, we not only, as black trans folks, we are not only part of the kinty cloth fabric of American society and our communities, we are leaders. I say we are moms, dads. Um, we are also, let's say, let's say friends, workers. We, I say, want to contribute more to the, you know, say, to the full society. I say, and that needs to happen. Um, but you know, say, unfortunately, our Republican friends have decided that our human rights and our very humanity is under attack for their political purposes. And that must not stand. Mm -hmm. you know, and we do need and we do need the help of our allied communities and also our African own African American community to realize that your trans brothers and sisters need your help. Mm -hmm. I say we I say and it's past time that we start having these conversations within our not only within our community but the I say community at large. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a couple of things. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, oh, go ahead. The, Please go ahead. This is Bishop Plunder. A uh, couple of things that come up for me in terms of 
where I am around activism. Um, I have studied and taught for a number of years about the, the important shifts that have happened around many things, around civil rights, around women's rights, around gay rights, around uh, um, the work we've done around HIV. The church has been, religion has been secondary to those realities. And people say that, well, Martin Luther King's movement was a religious movement, a spiritual movement. I said Martin Luther King was not really respected among his peers as it related to how they responded to his work, much of it until after he died. And the truth of it was, in fact, there was an entire Baptist convention, the National Baptist Convention that he was a part of, that he was asked to leave because of the work that he did in relationship to civil rights, and hence the, the genesis of the Progressive Baptist Convention, essentially. Um, so I'm simply saying that whether we're talking about the suffragette movement, whether we're talking about the end of chattel slavery, whether we're talking about the, the civil rights of African Americans, LGBT people, which I call the current blind spot in many ways, um, or a woman's right to choose, all of these realities, uh, religion came to it often after the body politic made a decision, and then there was a reluctant yes. That's like, oh well, since they're just gonna do it anyway, I guess we may as well get on in there. I would love to see people of faith being able to get beyond all of the reasons that we say no, and all of the walls that we put up, and the fear that we have of change and shift, and the ways in which we make pejorative assumptions, even about our holy writ, we visit on the writ what we already have a preconceived notion around. <laughs> I, I just believe that this is what God believes in, and so I'm going to so, go there in proof text and find me something that will defend my position. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think what is important, uh, vitally important, is that faith gets in the front of activism. In, and I'm in a company now of people of faith who are doing activism, and that blesses me. But I would like to see that be multiplied thousands and thousands of times in the numbers where negativism in, in certain kind of uh, conservative religious movements, that negative concepts, those negative concepts are in the thousands of people. I would love to see that kind of strength put behind the kinds of things that set people free, not just the kinds of things that bind people and tell people what they can't do. That's the heart. I'd like to see that leadership, not a reaction, an action, to really come from communities of faith in large and significant numbers. And that's gonna take some work, you know, mm -hmm. because it has a lot to do with power, has a lot to do with control. Um, it's gonna be hard to release that in some places, in some settings, but that really is why um, I am involved and engaged in this, um, anyway. So that's Thank why I'm on it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you, for Michael and then myself. Sure. Michael just came in, but I'm just tired. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> repeat yeah. the, Surely. what we're talking sure. about. Surely, yeah. The question is, given that this is a human rights conference mm -hmm. and, and all of uh, all of you are activists on some level. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys consider to be the forefront of activism today, the most important dimension of it in today's context? And if you could just introduce yourself when you answer the question, please. Okay. My name is Tamora Lomax. I am a co-founder of the Feminist Wire, also co-organizer of the conference. 
Uh, I'm a scholar, I'm a writer, uh, and an activist. But I'm an educator first in terms of um, activism. I teach in the classroom, I'm on the university level, and I t teach um, others who go out and become, who have become activists. And so I, I'm pretty clear that that's my role um, as, as an educator. And what I think is on the forefront really aligns with what Monica said earlier. Uh, I'm a black feminist, um, so my politics um, are deeply rooted in the activisms of uh, black foremothers in America and diasporically. And so in that, uh, Bell Hooks, I believe it is, she writes that um, activism or social justice must come from the margins. And something that Darnell Moore and I talk about all the time is if you say that there's a margin, there has to be a center. So maybe the edges of the margins. And so when we talk about the needs of the community, of black communities, plural, um, we have to t really have in mind the edges of the margins, right? So a lot of times we forget that as scholars um, in academia and, and we're um, seen as elitists and we miss, we have a lot of blind spots. and so. For me, um, priority is really, it lies on the edges of the margins. And some of the things that we talked about earlier, um, the edges of the margins in terms of the poorest of the people, the um, most violated of the people, um, the youngest and the oldest of the people. So that's a, that's a large group. But when I think about that, I think about children, I think about women, I th and, and all women, cis and trans women, I think of the varying ways that um, we connect and disconnect along class lines and how um, violences show up on our, on our doorsteps. And so even in today in our conference, we have a hard time censoring the black female body. I tried to do that even in our panel and we kind of got away from that. And so I, I was really working through what is it that we are having a hard time, even in this space, centering the black female body. The question was about the black female body. and so. Um, that that's that's a huge concern is the misogyny that um, exists within the margin. So as black folks, we're already on the margins, right? So there is a misogyny that exists even there in the edges. That is class, is gendered, um, is sexualized in interesting kinds of ways. And so I don't feel like I'm 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 very much in the along the lines of Anna Julia Cooper, who says, you know when and where I answer, until the women come, we will not be free. And so until the women are centered, because the women are the most marginalized. And I'm talking about cis and trans. And, and even in that, that needs nuancing, because I think poor trans women are even more marginalized. And so until those bodies and their needs and what it means to flourish as a human being, until, until we, that is realized, not just surviving, I'm talking flourishing, I'm talking thriving, until that is realized, we really can't, we haven't arrived to this moment of, of justice. We haven't arrived to this uh, place of human rights. We're still, we'll, we will still be fighting until we, and I don't know that we'll ever get to see that in our lifetimes, but it is that the ones who are the most smart, and maybe, maybe to even nuance it a little bit more, maybe it's the poor trans child, right? Like that's the one that needs to be centered um, and then, then we can all enter. But mm -hmm. the most marginalized has to be centered first. <clears throat> well, um, my name is Michael McBride. I am uh, the pastor of the Way Church in Berkeley. Uh, also lead the Pico Network's Live Free mm -hmm. campaign, uh, which is a campaign of 
thousands of congregations across the country working to dismantle uh, mass criminalization, people of color, um, particularly um, as it manifests through urban gun violence, mass incarceration, and police violence, state violence. And so um, when I think of human rights, I, I think about the, um, the assault, the unending assault on dark-skinned bodies mm -hmm. in America from the inception of the American empire. Um, and so it is for me, um, you know, a, an important, it's an important history to not, um, abdicate or, or forget, um, or eschew or, or gloss over, um, because, uh, when, when does yesterday become the distant past? Right. And so if there's not been one day in the history of this country where dark skinned bodies have not been subjected to arbitrary violence at the hands of the state, mm -hmm. um, that means that today is is the, you know, unending continuation yeah. of what many of us and our ancestors have been fighting for, um, at least here on this continent. And it's not to suggest that, you know, global exploitation is not a reality, but, you know, to be a contextual person living in a space and time, I, I have to pay attention, I think, to where I, I'm situated, hopefully in a way that that then blesses or at least um, can can catalyze some healing elsewhere. Um, I, I also certainly believe that, to me, the, the, the greatest, um, you know, kind of point of, of of um, penetration in our work is around white supremacy and racial hierarchy. Mm. And what does it mean to take seriously that, um, you know, white supremacy, racial hierarchy, whiteness um, uh, must be uh, defeated um, um, soon, if not yesterday, mm -hmm. um, that, that in many respects this is what is killing us all, this uh, normativity of you know, value and and meaning being kind of grounded in, you know, some very narrow categories. If you're not white and male and Christian and heterosexual and a landowner and an elite, then your life then gets devalued. And what does it mean to, like, dismantle that and, and say that uh, even for white folk, white supremacy oppresses white folk? Um, now Can I you can't. Elaborate on that? Well, not every white person is white and male and Christian and heterosexual and elite and a landowner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're not all those things at one time, then white supremacy has not been built for you. Um, but many of us will reach for whiteness, right? Hoping to attain a destination that does not exist. Mm -hmm. And so rather than trying to reach for whiteness like I, I hope that we all can reach for our full humanity um, that is grounded in at least I would I would say our imago dei or just the, the, the fact that I we have been created in the image of God it, that in and of itself is all the value we need I need and if I can see that in others then hopefully um, I can act in ways that dismantle that racial hierarchy that hierarchy of value that has become very much um, normalized in 
in in at least the American context, and certainly I think everywhere where colonialism has has happened, and so. So I, I hope that our, our work in human rights, particularly as a faith leader, contributes to that form of liberation, that work of liberation. Um, I hope our work in this space um, facilitates healing of the soul and the body and the mind and relationships. I hope that um, our work continues to um, solidify and ground um, legacy institutions so our children can have a place where they don't have to start from scratch. Um, and so uh, that means that all of these institutions that um, as a faith leader I lead or help superintend have to continue to be transformed um, so they don't get lost. Um, because uh, I have a great fear of what would happen if black religious institutions became so irrelevant that our children no longer inhabit them. Mm. Um, I fear we will be left with nothing on this continent to show for 400 years of, of, uh, of memory, of struggle. And so um, that is just my own personal investment, mm -hmm. certainly for, for uh, our struggle for human rights. I do hope and pray and believe that um, <clears throat> our history, our future, as it says, is, is bound up in, in certainly our, our deep connection and love and, and uh, um, struggle together. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you like to go? Would you like to go? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it, this is Darnell Moore. I'm sure there's a lot that has been said already. Um, but human rights, maybe the more precise language is obtaining um, equity, economic equity, um, reparations even. Uh, well-being I, I guess I want to be specific about what like our outcomes are I think we lose so much under this term human rights particularly when so many of the folk that we're attempting to sort of claim material equity for aren't even considered human in the first place um, but the thing that I'm thinking a lot about now and I'm, I'm more quiet these days than, than anything else is what does a a real wind of a politic look like right now. And maybe it is a politic that is so focused on who we ought to center, um, but who's actually existing on the edges of the edges of the margins. For me, I think what's happening when we use language like on this sort of iteration we need to center X, is that centers create margins. So it's recreating the conditions we're trying to ameliorate um, so what does a truly interconnected, intersectional political framework looks like that begins by excavating the edges of the edges of the margins? Who are our people that is out furthest in the field mm -hmm. in need of right-of-way interventions? And if we can get there and work our way back, I think we might find our way to some type of material equity. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. Can I ask you about uh, when when you say quietness? Um, that's not uh, typically the the picture, the general picture, like for our audience listening of, of an activist. And I want to know how that manifests in your in your, in your activism. <laughs> I mean, well, one just as a the the reality is, I'm really tired. Um, I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. I'm tired of having these conversations. 
So when I when I talk about well-being, I'm, I'm talking about the emotional, spiritual, physical health mm-hmm. um, of folk who commit themselves to this type of life mm-hmm. every day, um, regardless of what that looks like. Right. Um, so quiet by quiet, you know, I have to I have to give myself permission sometimes to shut up. Mm-hmm. And to to acknowledge that I don't have all the answers, or, or some of them, um, that it's essential to listen, um, that it's essential to shut down. I was talking to Kevin, who's sitting across from me, and I was saying there were days where something like receiving a hug um, and intimacy was the very thing I needed just mm-hmm. to make it through the day in ways that a protest or um, an ideological debate could never, ever give me. So for me, um, because I'm also concerned about what it means to be black living today at 41 with family members who I've lost over the past several months, family members who were recently diagnosed with cancer, young, I mean, uncle who is too young to be having a stroke and can't hear out of one ear. Mm -hmm. These are the material conditions that all of the talk is trying to get at. So if I can't attend to them, if I can't sit with my uncle, if I can't bury my father and eulogize him like I did in October, if I can't be there for my grandmom as she's aging, then all of this other shit don't mean anything to me. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the way I can live mm-hmm. my politics out is to be present mm-hmm. for those um, folk in, in my in my orbit, whether that's in my neighborhood or my block, or at home, mm-hmm. um, however home is defined mm-hmm. as a way of living that politic out. One of the odd things I also like to do is what Dr. King called it in terms of do, doing hard, solid thinking. You know, you have to take time out to kind of do some, you know, what we were talking about last mm-hmm. night, uh, self-reflection. Um, and also, what are the goals? You know, sometimes, you know, you're having to think about some of the issues and stuff that we are dealing with. And not only you know say take some time to process it in your own mind and in your you know to where you need to be in terms of your own understanding but how you're going to explain it to your constituency mm-hmm. in some cases uh, or you know in my case my constituency is my readers mm-hmm. <laughs> and the readers of my blog you know um, when I t- when I have to think about the issues of the day and how I'm going to articulate them in 700 words or less, uh, that does take that does mean that from time to time I do have to kind of step away, uh, take some time to kind of think about you know what's going on right now, you know, you know what you know, say how are all the issues you know swirling about us in in this crazy you know, world in which stuff is happening in a mile a minute in a 24-hour news cycle, you know, sometimes you you literally have to unplug from that. And so when I say, so I get what Darnell's talking about in terms of needing the quiet time to unplug, that's simply, you know, say, you have to have that. You know, say, because that will literally drive you crazy trying to, (laughs) trying to, you know, say, keep up with all the stuff that's going on and then you know you're looked at as a leader in the community mm-hmm. you know whatever definition of leadership that people attribute to you mm-hmm. 
Um, but even leaders have to have self-care and time away from the battlefield, <laughs> say from the civil rights battlefield, so that you can be effective in what you need to do on behalf of your people. And, and I, I want to be clear, too, that, that uh, our ability to do that is often um, a privileging factor, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. not everybody can, um, are in a position to sort of take off, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I acknowledge that. Now, the type of world I imagine that we can build, if we can, is one in which folk have the opportunity to stop and dream. Some folk can't do freedom dream because they're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. um, and they can't just get away. They can't um, turn off when they're living under the daily onslaught of so many of the things. So, you know, it, it, I, I, w I would love it. I, you know, two, two years ago, I was trying to reach out to folks so we can get money to send folk who were protesting on the streets every day, like Ferguson activists. I was trying to find money to send folk away for two weeks just to, to, to relax. Mm -hmm. um, but that we even have to find money to do that mm -hmm. is an indictment, really, an indication of the way that these systems work themselves out of in our interpersonal lives. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can just get up and go That's and true. stop. I'm, I wish we could. Thank you. And so I, I do think, you know, to his this, this this last point here, you know, human rights has to has to be more than um, uh, a slogan, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, I think it, it has to be grounded in, uh, you know, the material conditions mm -hmm. of the oppressed. And, and, and it, I do think we we, you know, I struggle with. Um, at times, what can feel like a little bit of of a of a um, a slippery slope between the oppressed and the oppressor, mm -hmm. um, because uh, I hope I'm not an oppressor, but then I know that I am, <laughs> right? And 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 often, you know, one being an oppressor is often a result of not being able to be quiet. Or to have time to have to do self-reflection, to imagine that I could be doing harm as a muscle memory exercise because I've not had the opportunity to mm -hmm. realize that how I, you know, um, uh, achieve, uh, you know, my full sense of self it may often happen on the backs of someone else who is just invisible to me at the moment because I'm too consumed with my pain, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I work a lot with young young fellas in the neighborhood who shoot people. And unfortunately, they shoot into moving cars or on blocks, and they don't see the children that are around them because they're so consumed with rage at the person they're trying to either protect themselves from or enact an uh, act of violence. And, and so, you know, when I talk about some of these, these young men I work with, um, you know, folk, some folks will say, you know, they are monsters and predators. And, and I, I often say, well, they're victims as well, you know. They've been victimized by a certain way of living and violence that they have become so consumed with 
that they can't distinguish between anything out here except for the immediacy of their own um, perceived or real threat. And, and so, you know, I just say all that to say that I, I do hope that as we think about human rights, we don't, we don't forget that um, human dignity um, is, has to be the starting point for every single person, right? Um, and that that, that journey um, may, may put us all in places we've never thought we would go. Um, in the Christian tradition, Jesus told Peter, uh, Peter said, I'll follow you wherever you may go. Jesus, Jesus told him, all right, we'll see about that. <laughs> and he said, you're going you're gonna to find yourself dying <laughs> in a way you never thought. And I think that's kind of what it means, at least in my tradition, to follow Jesus. Like Jesus, if you really follow Jesus, Jesus will lead you somewhere you never thought you'd be. And too many of us are tapping out before we get there, right? And 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 I think if if we follow these things to their f- full conclusion, I think it is a a world of abundance. It is a world of enough. Um, and where there's abundance and where there's enough, then we can lose our narrative of scarcity, our need to compete. You know, we can just be and, and allow our being to kind of be the gift that keeps on giving to all of us. And so, um, thank, you. thank you. I, I know everyone here has got to get back to the conference. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. thank you guys so much for your time. And we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.